I'd love it if you'd um, turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 7. If you're not familiar with the Bible and you can find one near you or you can rob one from someone, uh, you turn right all the way to the back. It's about three quarters of the way through. You'll find the beginning of something called the New Testament. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Matthew's the first book. And uh, the first book of the New Testament is all about Jesus. Um, it's where we hear the stories of Jesus, the adventures of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, and it's really central to everything that we, we do. So we're going to read a few verses in just a moment. We've been in the series in the Sermon on the Mount, which is like Jesus' best sermon, uh, where he tells us everything about the kingdom of God and everything about what his Father wants and everything about what it means to, to follow God and to live in a relationship with God. And, you know, I can't imagine a more appropriate, encouraging, and apt passage of Scripture um, for the times that we live in. Um, and for today, you know, we're living in, I guess, pretty uh, anxious times. I mean, maybe you're not anxious at all, but, uh, but we have elections and Brexit and things happening all over the world, and there's lots of questions out there, and we've just come together and we prayed prayers and, and done, uh, this morning particularly, a moment of remembrance, where we remember war and conflict and brokenness, and uh, those moments are really important because they're, they are exactly what they say they are. They are re Remembrance. We remember. We come together to remember things, to remind ourselves of who we are and what it means to be whole and how we have been broken and set ourselves right again. And so as we come around a passage of Scripture where Jesus is teaching, I want us to think about that. And I want us to think about hope in a world where hope is sometimes absent. Let's read together. Jesus says this, Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Let's just pray. So God, we, we come together to remember. We come together to remind ourselves of who you are and who we are. We come together because we still have this audacious belief that this word is living and active and speaking and can change our lives. So we're not here for an intellectual exercise. We're not here just to hear familiar words. We're here to hear your voice to our lives. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Come speak into the reality of our brokenness and our joys. Come change things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is saying again and again and again in this sermon, I want you to think differently. 
I want you to think differently because the way in which you're thinking right now, the way in which the institution is thinking, the way in which your religion is thinking, and the way in which your brain is wired to think is not the correct way to think. In fact, it's not bringing you life. You have heard it said, he says, but I say to you, you have heard it said by your elders, but I say to you. You've heard it said by your parents, but I say to you. You've heard it said by culture, but I say to you. I, I have come to ask you to repent. Greek word metanoia. I've come to ask you to think differently because I know if you think differently, then you will begin to act differently, you'll feel differently, and then the outcomes of your life will be radically different. And that's what you need because the world around you and the world inside you is so often just messed up and broken. I have come to tell you that there is a different state. I've come to tell you there is a different reality in this world. It's called the kingdom of God. It's the place and the rule and the state and the realm where everything that God wants, God who is good and God who is the creator of you, happens. And that reality is so attractive and so right for you because I made it for you that, that I want you to live in it and so you have to think differently. It's going to change everything. You've heard it said, but I say to you. And so Jesus begins to talk about prayer here. And he's speaking to people just like you and just like me. He's speaking to religious people who think they've all got it all sewn out. People with fixed mindsets who say, I know what's right and I know what's wrong. I know what's in and I know what's out. And sometimes they're wrong, but they don't believe they're wrong. And Jesus is saying, I want you to think differently. And he's speaking to other people who think they're totally excluded from the things of God and they can never know God because they feel judged and they feel outside. And he says, I want you to think differently as well. And then he starts to talk to them about prayer. And he may as well be talking to us. If you ask, you will receive. If you truly seek, you're going to find truth. If you knock, Things will be open to you that you don't think are open to you right now. And it's huge. I don't think we get our heads around how powerful this stuff is. Ask, he says. Do you know, ask is, a, is an invitation. Ask, ask is something that we all know. We all know ask, don't we? I know ask. I have four daughters. I know ask. When, when, when they get on the phone and they say, Daddy, it's money. Dad is cheap. Daddy is expensive. I just, it's a, I mean, how many, how many of you here, parents of girls, and know exactly what I'm talking about? Yes. Exactly. So, dad, you know, I know that. Daddy, <laughs> it means they're in trouble or they need some, anyway. You know what ask is, but, but, but have you thought about it like this? Ask here is an invitation to think differently about ourselves. When Jesus says, ask, He's asking us to think about the fact that we're not omnicompetent. We don't get it right all the time. We're not winning at life. In fact, our culture is not winning at life. In fact, we have gaps. We've got big gaps. There's so many things that we can't fix and we can't mend and we can't solve and we can't heal. There are some things that we can, but there are so many things that are just broken and have to remain broken. And, and, and we can't cope with some of that stuff and it's not okay. 
whatever promises, whatever politicians make, with whatever amount of money at the end of their promise, it's not going to be okay. See, I lack wisdom. Some of you know that. I lack insight. I, I lack perspective. And the ask is a declaration of dependence. It's you and I coming to the, the God of the universe and laying our lives down. The ask is a beautiful invitation to the God of miracles to show up in the guts of our lives and reveal his grace. Saying, God, I just can't. And I probably never will. And I need you. And I know you can because you're a good God. Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek and, and you will find. Seek is to want to know the heart of God. God. God, I want to know your will because it's the only good thing. It's the only hope-filled thing. I, I don't want to know my will. I'm not that interested in everyone else's opinion or idea or clever thought. I want to know your will because your perfect wisdom Seek is a pursuit thing. You know, to seek God is not to, to try to change his mind with my desires. I think sometimes we think that's what prayer is, isn't it? You know, God, you really need to get on the game here. We need to do this, and this needs to happen, and if we can make that happen, then, you know, if, if only you understood God. No, no, no. To seek is to ask God to change my heart. God, will you align me to you? That's what this is about. Because I'm a creation and you're the creator. And you know about this stuff because you made this stuff. And you know about that stuff because you made that stuff. And you know how that stuff needs to relate to this stuff and this stuff needs to relate to that stuff because you're, you're perfect in, in every way. God, you're the source of wisdom. I need your wisdom. And you know, every single time I reject him and every time I ignore him and every time I, I, I put him to the back of my mind, I end up doing foolish and stupid. Because God, you're the source of these things. So I'm coming to have my heart yielded to your heart. I've given up trying to change yours to mine. You see, I don't know if this is making sense. You see, what, what God is trying to do as I seek him, he's trying to take my desires and lovingly craft them in such a way that I begin to see that his are better. That's what he's doing. He's, he's trying to take my passions and my ideas and, and my heart, and he's trying to help me understand that his heart is kinder. And if only I would have my heart mapped onto his heart, I would be way kinder. I'd be way wiser. I'd be way more interesting. What he's trying to do is he's trying to make me more like him. And he's saying, if you would ask, it'll be given to you. And if you would seek, you're going to find this stuff. There is, there is a story, um, there are many amazing stories in the Old Testament, but there's a story that's one of my favorites in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. It's about a king called Asa. And Asa is one of these kings that, I guess like many of the kings in the Old Testament, they start off loving God and being really great, and God loves them, and they're great, and things are going well. And then he does what many leaders do, many Christian leaders do even, many of you do. 
You start off absolutely dependent because you know how rubbish you are and then you learn a few things and then you begin to believe your own hype and you think your competences are quite good. And then you stop relying upon God, you stop asking God, you stop seeking his face because you think you can manage a few things. And Asa gets into that place and the Bible says his heart went cold towards God and he gets himself in a mess because it always happens that way. And then God sends this prophet Hanani. And Hanani starts to speak incredibly difficult things into Asa's life. And Asa can't, can't handle those difficult things. And then in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, Hanani says this. For the eye, listen, listen, listen. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro through the earth, that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. That's what God's trying to do as you seek his face. He's trying to align his heart with yours. He's trying to map his heart onto yours. He's trying to transform you. He's trying to do this thing inside your heart so that your heart is totally, not partially, not, not a little bit, it's totally his so that he can strongly su support your endeavors. Say, yes, of course that's what I'm going to give you because it's, it aligns to my heart. Yes, that prayer, yes. I love that stuff. Yes, that, yes, I love that stuff. Of course he does. Because you start to ask for the things that are on God's heart because your heart is attuned to his heart and it starts to flow and it's no longer a strife. See what God is doing? Knock. And the door will be open to you. The knocking of prayer is the persistence of prayer. In other words, prayer isn't always a once and done deal. You know, God, just do this. If you're not doing it, I'm not asking again. No, no. And it's not, it's not because the character of God is stingy or tight or miserable or, or doesn't like you very much. It's because God knows something about your spiritual muscles that you forget. And that is this, that it takes time and it takes patience and it takes discipline and sometimes it takes pain and sometimes it takes trials to grow you so that you're strong in faith and strong in God. It's true in every discipline. If you want to get buff, you're going to have to go through some pain. Not that I would know about that. Nah. Um, do you know, just if you, if, if you want to do anything well in life, you have to start off by doing things you find difficult. I've been reading a lot of stuff recently. And, you know, one of the things I'm discovering is that, you know, this whole argument between nature and nurture, when people are geniuses and talented? I think it's the wrong argument. Because, of course, nature pays, uh, is important, and, and nurture is important if someone's going to be deeply talented at something. But the key ingredient is practice. The key ingredient, if you, if you look at anybody who is brilliant at anything, is because they learn how to do deep practice over many years. They learn, I think that's what God is doing here. I think he's saying, if you really want your heart yielded in such a way that you know the will of God, and you can pray the will of God, and you can do the will of God, you're going to have to do the hard yards. And it's not just going to be a simple ask or a simple seek. It's going, to, it's going to engage you in a knocking and a pursuit. You're going to have to come into my presence and learn of me. And it's going to take time, and it's going to take energy, but it's going to yield results that are going to be significant, not just for you, but for everyone around you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. What a promise. I mean, if we took this seriously, it's a game changer, isn't it? If we honestly believe that this stuff is going to happen, so, so why, what is it? <laughs> 
why don't, why, 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 is, why don't we? Why don't we see fruitfulness? Let me try this. I think the reason is that there are two different kinds of people in this room who find this kind of sermon difficult. Because we can just go away and nod and say that was nice and interesting and Carl moved around a bit and we thought he was going to trip over the carpet or something like that. But actually, we, we, we find it difficult because there are two postures that find this difficult. And I thought about identifying two people and calling them out and asking them to stand up, but I thought that would be too public. But it would be fun, wouldn't it? Let's do that. So what we'll do is we'll say this side of the room has one aspect and the other side has the other aspect. Okay? So the two, the two issues are this, poverty thinking and prosperity thinking. You get to be prosperity and you get to be poverty. Okay? So here's the thing, po poverty, poverty thinking. On the one hand, you guys, poverty thinking is wildly pessimistic. Often passed down to us by parents or culture or tradition or background or religion or conservative evangelicalism. Poverty thinking looks down on outrageous vision. Poverty thinking doesn't like betterment. Poverty thinking, when it sees pleasure, injects it with a good dose of guilt. Poverty thinking makes you feel a bit ashamed of the things that you have. Poverty thinking starts from the premise that it's probably not God's best for us to have nice things and to have good things and to enjoy our life too much. Poverty thinking means this, that when I catch you with something nice or enjoying yourself too much or going somewhere luxurious, the first thing you want to do is justify it. You want to be defensive around it and you want to tell me you got it cheap. And here's the thing, if you think this way, you're missing out even when you have. And probably the narrative is this, that God is more likely to take from you than give to you. And that if you really trust God, he will certainly demand more of you than lavish goodness on you. And so consequently, so many of us become overly protective around the little we have. And we cease to stretch and ask and seek and knock for the more that we might have. And we miss out on God. And just in case you think you've got it bad, let me talk to the prosperity guys over here. Prosperity's cousins are pride and entitlement and its twin is progressivism. You're always gonna get better. You should have everything that you've got. You deserve it. You worked for it. You, you did it yourself. And, 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 and the way in which you're tempted to think is, I don't need to ask anyone. I'll work it out myself. I'll fix it myself. I'll sort it myself. It's on me. I'm too busy on me to seek you, God. And if I don't get it first time, I'm certainly not going to humble myself and ask again because that's just embarrassing and I'm more important. Here's the thing. We have drunk at the fountain of individualism so often that we've made ourselves independent even from God. And we've become God. And it's killing us. We've, we've imbibed the lie of relativism 
that there is no truth, it's your truth, it's my truth, it's anyone else's truth, and we've said we have the truth. And your truth you know is hollow, and your truth you know doesn't get you anywhere, and it's flimsy and it's hopeless, but we hold on to it. Here's the thing, you guys don't ask because you don't think you deserve it. And you guys don't ask because you don't think you need it. And, and, and ask is offensive to the prideful spirit and challenging to the poverty spirit. But seek and knock is an antidote to both. And if you would understand that, and if you would embrace it, and you would seek the heart of God for it, ask, seek, and knock can bring not only healing to your life, but transformation to a broken world that is desperately seeking the reality of God. I don't know if that makes sense. Maybe it's just that we're too British, or too fearful, or too prideful. Maybe the thing is I don't know what the thing is. <laughs> I just know that we're missing out on the gift and more on the giver and the opportunity to be a gift. I do know this, I do know this. You have a father. That's what Jesus says, you have a father. And do you know how often that's Jesus' trump card? Whenever he's in a difficult conversation or a difficult situation or wants to teach some of the most profound stuff he's going to teach, he comes out with that line. It's like his trump card. This trumps everything else. You have a father. You know, I've got the greatest story of all time. Prodigal son. You have a father. You younger brothers, you older brothers, you have a father, by the way. Those of, the, the, the disciples are all anxious because Jesus just said he's going to die. And he says, don't be anxious or upset. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house and many rooms, you have a father. When you come and pray and want a relationship with God, the first thing you say, Abba, you have a father. And Jesus says, you can ask and you can seek and you can knock and great things can happen to you. Because you have a father who only ever gives good things. You know, he's not some kind of amalgam of all the good fathers that you can think of. He is not the reflection of fatherhood. He's the perfection of fatherhood. He's perfect dad, which means he is never absent like some dads are. He's always present. When you ask, you're not going to find when you open the door, he's not there. He's never overly ambitious for you. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. It's not dependent on some kind of metric that you made up in your head, whether you're good or bad or ugly or whatever situation. He just loves you. It's called grace. He's, he's not authoritarian and he's not abusive. You have a father, listen, who is infinitely strong and can do all that he pleases. He's infinitely righteous, so he always does the right thing. He's infinitely good, so everything he does is perfectly good, and he's infinitely wise, so he always knows perfectly what is right and good, and he's infinitely loving, so he takes all that stuff and he pours it in your direction because he's a good, good, good father. And he says, you've asked me, and I give you what you need. If you seek me, you will find what you're seeking. And if you knock, everything that needs to be opened to you for you to become fully alive will be opened to you. Let's just pause for a moment. I don't know what you think about our political situation and I'm not going to make a political comment, sort of. But here's a thought. 
When I listen to politicians, and there are some brilliant people out there, and they get slated all the time, it must be really hard. You know, I know they put themselves in that place, but it must be really hard. But everyone's got a different view, haven't they? And almost everyone's in it for other people, not just themselves. And so you hear stuff, you know, what's the most important thing, Brexit or health or education or the environment or the economy or, I mean, I don't know, all of the above, <laughs> you know? They are all fundamentally important things. And I find myself saying, where are the states, men and women? Where are the people who, who, who I can trust to make the right decisions? Where, where is their hope in navigating a way that is true and helpful and kind? in this world. And I find myself thinking this, that at the heart of the problem in our world and in our society is that we don't truly know what it means to be human. We just don't know what it means to be fully alive. We don't really know what it means to be a man or a woman today. And we don't really know how to connect with one another in a way that is kind and, and gracious. And consequently, there is this deep, deep systemic anxiety in our nation and in our hearts. And here's the thing that I find myself thinking. Jesus, who is perfectly human, the perfect servant, the perfect leader, the perfect truth teller, Morally unswerving, the greatest leader who ever lived. His message again and again and again is this. You have a father. You have a father. And if you would truly understand what it means to be fathered by one who wants to perfectly protect you, perfectly provoke you, perfectly provide for you, perfectly release you into your calling and your anointing and your future, then you would begin to not be so anxious and find a way to love people and find a way to walk in this world. We have to let him father us. He only gives good gifts to his kids. But here's the thing, you have to ask him. You have to get proactive around this stuff. You can't just sit there passively receiving, going, whatever. No, you have to ask him. You have to seek. You have to knock. There is, a, there is an activity involved in the whole process. That's why in verse 8 he says, for everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone. What do you want him to do for you? How are you taking hold of him? How are you pursuing him? How are you going after him? The, the riches of heaven are available to us, but how are you taking hold of it? So I want to leave you with one question I think God asks of you and one offer he has for you, and I promise I'll shut up. It's a good deal, isn't it? Here's the, here's the question. There's a story of Jesus when he's coming towards the end of his life and he's, he's walking through a place called Jericho and he's on his way to Jerusalem to die. And the Bible says he's passing through Jericho so he must be moving at a pace. And then from the crowd, there's a blind man called Bartimaeus and he cries out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then Jesus says something really stupid to Bartimaeus, or so it seems. Because Bartimaeus is blind, he's evidently blind, he's probably been blind from birth, everyone knows he's blind, and he's shouting out, please help me. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? 
And if I was there, I'd probably say, it's pretty obvious Jesus healed his sight. I mean, I know you're the Son of God and everything, but just do it, you know? But here's why. Jesus knows something about him, and he also knows something about you. That until you are willing to articulate your need and pursue his presence and come to him for what you need, you are never going to receive and you're never going to walk in that. And so here's the question. What do you want him to do for you? It's okay to ask him. And here's the offer. In, um, in Luke's parallel story of the Sermon on the Mount, Luke, who, who kind of extrapolates on this, tells a number of stories around, around these verses. And when he talks at the end of it, he says, if you as an earthly father, even though you're broken, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Here's the offer. The king of kings who says, what do you want me to do for you? Says, if you ask, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who's going to enable you to ask for the right things. Who's going to enable you to seek my face and find my heart. Who's going to enable you to keep knocking and grow the muscles of spiritual discernment that's going to enable you to live a life that is pleasing to God, that is going to make a difference to the people all around you. And you can't do it. So I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God's change agent. And the Holy Spirit is going to change everything. What do you want me to do for you? Have you ever experienced the transforming power of the Spirit of God? Because if you have, you would know it. And it would change everything. So do you know what? I'm going to ask because I am desperately in need. And I'm going to seek because my heart is not everything it could be. And I'm going to knock because I want the spiritual muscles in me to grow real strong so that I am who he wants me to be and I represent him well in a world that's needy. Let's pray. So maybe just in the quietness. When the preacher has stopped ranting. An opportunity to ask. As you answer that question. God, this is what I want. Ask him audaciously. He knows your heart. He loves you. Ask him for more than you've ever asked before. Ask him for bigger, he can cope with it. And now, Holy Spirit, would you come? Come, Holy Spirit. let him come the, um, the spirit of God is the one who quickens and brings life 
Spirit of God has two jobs. To introduce you to Jesus and to grow the Jesus life in you. That's what he wants to do. So trying to do the Jesus thing without the Spirit of God. <laughs> why it's so frustrating. So just let him come. <laughs>